Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I am a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a battery hen, and I love films. As Emily Dickinson once said... If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. Which is why I don't let any watch Jesse's song in Toy Story 2. Profound words, as always, from Emily D there. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Ricky Gervais, Jamila Jamil, and even Ed Gamble. But this week, my very special guest is superstar, director, writer, radio DJ, podcast, double act, hero man the wonderful the only mr joe cornish announcement listen up on december 19th at the bfi in london i will be doing a very special live end of decade show with nish kumar where we will be breaking down the decade in film we'll be discussing the films that made us cry the most the films that made us scared the most and the film that gave us the troublingest boneriverists in the last 10 years you can come along you can bring your own answers you can have a drink with us and at the end we might even do a muppet christmas carol sing-along don't miss it. Tickets are available at the BFI website and they are selling fast. Get on that. If you do enjoy the show and you want to support it and get more content, you can also come and join me at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get extra guest questions for nearly all the episodes. You get some videos, guest list tickets to these live shows. You get recommendations. You get all sorts of shit. And this week, there's a 30 minutes of extra stuff with Joe Cornish where we talk about a secret plan to make him a massive movie star. It's gold. You don't want to miss it. Give it a look over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Oh, and one final announcement, because it is Christmas coming up, if you go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash films to be buried with, you can, like my own mother, get your own troubling boner, hoodie, cap, baby bib, t-shirt, anything you like. They don't all just say that. Some of them say things a bit classier. Have a look at podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash films to be buried with. Imagine getting your nan for Christmas a nice warm hoodie that says troubling boners worrying why don'ts. I mean, that's the gift that keeps on giving. So here we go. Joe Cornish. Come on. I mean, he has been a hero of mine for years and years you know him we all know him the adam and joe show was a huge part of my life and it was a genuine inspiration they were the pioneers of just get on with it and make your own shit and for that i will always love them joe went on to become a proper amazing brilliant inspiring film director and i've wanted to talk to him for years 
And because of the magic of social media, people say it's bad, and it is bad, but also sometimes it brings people together. There was a woman who is a fan of Joe, got in touch with him, said, you must do Brett's podcast. He said, yeah, all right. I got in touch with him, thanks to that woman. I turned up at his house, invited for the record. He just had a bebe, invited me into a house, met his partner, met his lovely bebe, went down to his room, screening room. We'll talk about that on the podcast. Anyway, we had a lovely time. It was amazing. And... It's quite a long one, I think, but I think that you will enjoy it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 71 of Films to be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today by an actor... A writer, yes. a podcaster, yes. a radio Oof. DJ, mm. a human, a mm. man, a megastar, mm-hmm. oh. one half of everyone's favourite double act, mm-hmm. a toy manipulator, mm-hmm. a husband, a father. Not married. Not married, so scrap that. Yeah. And a partner. Of, he's a partner, uh, doesn't believe in marriage. Like in the Wild does. West. He's got a Wild West partner uh, that he goes on adventures with, and one of the finest British filmmakers working today. Oh. Please welcome to the show, Mr Joe Cordish. Hey, you're very kind, Brett. That was one heck of an introduction. I think we should just call it a day. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Because it'll be downhill from that generous now, uh, hyperbolic spiel. Joe Cornish, I'm in your house. Mm. I'm quite frankly, like, this is the, the dream. I'm in a room. Let me describe it. Mm. It's under the house. Not... Mm. Not massive, listen, it's not ostentatious. No. But what it is, is a fucking screening room. It's got a sofa, Mm. it's got a projector, it's got a proper screen against the wall, Mm -hmm. and some of the best... I mean, I feel like your DVD collection is for me. It's got Don't Look Now massively displayed. Well, this is the shelf that Brett's looking at. Yeah. Is the stuff that's in play. Do you know what I mean? The stuff that I'm thinking about watching. So if I come down here in the evening, that'll be my mini perusal section How often whereas the main are the main selection the smithsonian <laughs> is is in the little cubicle but lots behind, behind, us. Lots yeah. behind some double doors and to be honest i've rationalized quite because both adam and i used to have i mean you probably did as well many people did in the 90s thousands yeah. of dvds like thousands mm-hmm. but what with the new landscape of streaming and stuff i figure you get rid of the ones that you know will be there forever on streaming if it's a big studio mm. movie that you feel you know that you like, but you're yeah. not necessarily passionate about. Do you need three Do copies need... of Independence no, Day? Exactly. There'll be copies of Independence Day available forever. in landfill forever to be dug up. Yeah. Um, so I've whittled it down to stuff that I think is really precious or stuff that I covet or stuff that I think will disappear from, the, from streaming libraries that might be yeah. hard to find in streaming libraries. Because nice. however good it is, streaming's is still a bit unstable, isn't it? If your Wi-Fi goes out or something chokes your bandwidth. I mean, what if one day the internet, like, stops? Right. Then we're all, we're all fucked. We're all fucked. So you've got to have a, you've got to have a backup library of... Um, and I have to say, they, they are mostly Blu-rays. And I've got quite a, lot, quite a lot of 4K discs as well. The question I have for you is, how are you putting those dvds on the shelf alphabetized well this happened about a year and no this happened after i moved into this house which is only like a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. i decided to go for label right so that so all the criterions are together 
all the Eurekas are together, all the Twilight Times are together, all the, is it called Kino Lorbe? 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 Yeah, good <laughs> I don't know how to I've never said it out loud. They're all together. Um, all the Warner Brothers are together. Wow, you respect a studio. Well, I just like the uniformity of the spine. The visual, you like Yeah, the because I like all the titles are justified left. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's as if I've, gra- I've. It's as if my library is on a final draft or pages, yeah. and I've lassoed it yeah. and justified left with all the titles within. I mean, it's, this is very it is nerdy. beautiful. It's not beautiful, but <laughs> it's pleasing. It is it beautiful is to you and I. It is, it is, it beautiful. is beautiful. And you're right. If you've done it in alphabetical order, it would be a fucking mess. It would be a name. fucking mess. Um, visual man. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, man. I appreciate you appreciating my um, nutty room. Joe Cornish, um, I have a confession, and it's something I'm not proud of, mm. and it is this. I did not manage to see The Kid Who Would Be King at the cinema, and the only reason was right. because I was not in the right country when it came out. Where I was in You're a busy man, that's fine. came out, I was in England, and then I was in America, when, like, each release. I missed. You deliberately avoided it. Yeah, I flew across <laughs> the Atlantic. <laughs> the fuck out I was like, when's it coming out? Book me a ticket! Anyway, Very sensible. But here's the thing. Yeah. What I did do is I have watched it. I just oh, haven't watched oh. it on the big screen at the cinema. Okay. I apologise for uh, that. Well, because I know that's how it was bastard. intended. But I watched it on the biggest screen I could. And it is excellent. Oh, thank you. I watched it very recently. I'm so interested in your filmography. Mm. Because so much of it seems to be... It's only t- for two children. Of it. Yeah. As in about children. And an mm. optimistic view of the future generation mm. seems to be the link between Attack the Block mm. and Kid Who Will Be King. Mm. And I wonder where that comes from in you, that that is your thing. Is that your thing or is it just... I don't two? know. I've no idea. Because um, you've only just had a baby. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, I and think I'm quite a happy person, quite an yeah. optimistic person, yes. And Attack the Block in particular was a reaction to downbeat, miserableist mm. uh, British urban films yeah. uh, and particularly British independent films, the sort of mis- miserabilism that tends to sometimes masquerade as importance when you, you don't have much of a budget. And just the fact that I find movie going really pleasurable and even like a really good depressing film, like Brazil is quite depressing. Yeah. It's the example that springs to mind is really elevating and transporting at the same time. And sometimes I find movies are just sort of grim uh, for the sake of having a bit of impact, you know? So anyway... I agree on that. I so I wanted it to be upbeat. So And it was a response to more negative and pessimistic portrayals of uh, youth. And plus it was a sci-fi action-adventure movie, essentially. So usually the good guys win... Yeah. Or if it's a sort of slightly dystopic sci-fi, there's a sort of plus-minus ending yeah. where to one degree it's a positive and to other degrees it's a negative and that's the case in Attack the Block. You know, lots yeah. of his friends have died and terrible things have happened and he's being... Uh, this is a spoiler alert if you haven't yeah, seen it. Away, he's sorry. being taken away in a police van. Mm. But yet there's something within his personal development that where he smiles and he's got the support of the crowd. So it's a, And he's on his way to being Star Wars. And exactly, he's on his way to meet JJ. Yeah, Uh, and yeah, and then Kitty Will Be King is just an uh, like an unashamedly uh, kids' film. Yeah. So it's you know it's good to be happy when you're a kid. Yeah. And an adult. Uh, I guess a lot of my favourite films. I mean, like everybody, all a lot of my formative movie going experiences Mm -hmm. were as a child. Yeah. 
And so kids' films had a big impact on me when I was a kid. And then also, as you get older, when you watch films, when I watch films about children, like Au revoir les enfants or The 400 Blows or classic European films about childhood, yeah. when you watch those as a slightly older teenager, you, you suddenly have a perspective on childhood. It's the first age you are. Yeah. where you actually have a sort of intellectual perspective on being a, on that state of um, existence. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I do. Do you remember feeling very nostalgic about your own childhood when you were in your late teens? Uh, I, rem I genuinely remember being like in the last couple of weeks of school and feeling sad, like, oh, I'm going to miss it. Mm. I'm aware that this is a great fucking time. And that I will, I'm about to go into a thing which won't be like this anymore ever again. And, cu and yeah, really culture tells that. you that childhood is precious. Yeah. The way your parents respond to you as you grow up tells you that you're moving away from something quite particular and unique and important. Yeah. And so I suppose I was conscious of that when I sort of matured in my film tastes a bit when I was a late teenager and watched more European stuff. And a lot of classic European cinema happens to be you know, there are a lot of great yeah. coming-of-age movies. Is it because we like uh, origin stories? Because all the Bessie Miro films are origin stories and childhood is an origin story? Well, it's a weird phrase, origin story, isn't it? And yeah. it's only become currency because of the number of serial movies. Mm. I mean, most movies are origin stories. Is Scarface an origin story? Yes. You know, I mean, the vast majority of Is Casablanca an origin story? Citizen yeah, Kane yeah. is an origin story. Yes. Like you could say that about a lot of movies where the character is born and in terms of their imaginative life dies mm. within the time frame of a film. The only thing that's changed is film stories don't end. Yeah. And it's one of my pet theories about what I like in movies is that they, they end. Yeah. A story ends because when a story ends, you can think about it, walk away from it, let it resonate, percolate. If you know there's going to be 16 more movies, then mm. you don't have that uh, intellectual distance, do you? No. And it's weird. It, it's strangely like suitable for the time, I think, for these anxious times that narrative now doesn't end. Because everyone's in a state of anxiety where when will Trump, yeah, when you know, it when, when is all this <laughs> shit going to be over? All these yeah. terrible political and social. We're in a binge watching series Fuck that's shit. never ending. And in and in the olden times, narratives used to end. You'd have closure. Yeah. You'd think, well, that period of history of my life, that story is over, and I can learn from it. But now all these narratives are just endlessly mm. uh, strung out in a way that's very anxiety inducing. I think. I really agree with that. You're right. Can I ask you this? I was going to ask you this before we recorded, and if you don't want to talk about it, absolutely fine. Mm. And I just won't even ask this question. Mm. Can we talk about what happened with Ant Man? Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, great. No, I've talked about I've talked <laughs> about it a oh, lot. Yeah, okay. yeah. What happened? <laughs> and and how do you feel now? Please, if you don't mind sharing a bit. Well, we, as you know, we worked on that movie for a very long time. Yeah. So it all started. I mean, there's, there's a super long version of this, and I'll. I won't do the super long version of it. But to cut a long story short, we were working on it for so long that we really experienced the whole evolution of Marvel as a company. Mm. So we started when they were experimenting with superhero movies, oh, wow. when they were hiring Ang Lee, yeah. uh, people like that, auteurs, yeah. to try and bring respect to this genre that was pretty much um, a kind of director video thing when yeah. they started out. 
And then while we were working on it, they found a formula. Favreau really with the first Iron Man mm -hmm. found a formula that worked. So by the time we actually came to make the movie, by the time Edgar was ready to make it, the way the company worked had completely changed. They'd, they'd invented the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. They discovered the value of narrative continuity between the films. And Edgar and I had written a standalone movie. A With an ending? Did it have an ending? It had an ending yeah. and it had a slightly tricky thief at the centre of it. Right. It had a thief at the centre of yeah. it. Scott Lang was a thief. Now, even in the comic books, he's, he's a thief to save his sick daughter. Right. So they set the character in a place where, you know, all movies are, are usually about a good person doing a bad thing for a good reason. Yeah. And it depends how you calibrate that. Like in the, in the comic books, he's doing a bad thing for a very good reason. His daughter's dying. So yeah. he needs to raise the money for her operation. In our version, that wasn't the case. He was a, a thief, a petty thief, a criminal who over the course of the movie reformed himself. Right. It had a lot of the elements that are in the finished movie. You know, quite a bit of our stuff is, is still there. Okay. But that eventually made Dis... No, was it... No, it wasn't Disney back then. That made the Marvel committee very nervous. Right. His criminality at the beginning. And then there was just stuff they wanted to shoehorn into the film that Edgar and I didn't feel were, you know, fitted with what mm. we'd written. The other thing that was happening was... At that time, there was something called the Marvel Creative Committee who were above Kevin in the hierarchy of that company. And there was a tug of war going on between Kevin and them. And they were not really filmmakers. They were corporate overlords mm -hmm. who looked after all sorts of aspects of merchandising and right. that didn't, you know, you don't necessarily put at the forefront of your thinking if you're a writer yeah. or director. And Kevin actually won that tug of war and took over from them after Ant-Man. Oh, okay. so, so there was politics involved and then there was just the basic creative disagreements thing and then the company changing very much. But it was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it was really, it was much less painful for me than it was for Edgar yeah. because I was just so chuffed to be there right. and just, <laughs> you know, uh, bedazzled by everything that happened whether it was positive or negative yeah. i just couldn't believe i was part of this thing that was happening i i guess look i know nothing about what really happened you know the real side of it what i always imagined was that it must have been frustrating once guardians of the galaxy happened because it felt like and maybe it isn't true but it felt like they went okay let's give someone a chance to do whatever they want that probably isn't quite what it was but at the time of your Ant-Man thing, it seemed like they were on a track that was getting I don't know. Stayed. I think it depends what sort of a director you are. Right. You know, Edgar's a writer-director. Mm. Um, and you have a, you know, not that James Gunn isn't, but it, it just depends what sort of a director you are, whether you can... Play well with others? Yeah, yeah. And plus, I think the Ant-Man thing happened so publicly that Marvel became aware that, that people had this slight suspicion. So yeah. maybe, you're right, maybe they worked to mitigate it in the way that they... Mm. Uh, or, or, you know, going into Marvel after that point, you would have a knowledge of a certain yeah. need for uh, accommodation, you know. And do you like the film? You, you... Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. There's still loads of our stuff in it, you know. Well, that's good. Loads of... Uh, man, I'm just thrilled to see a line that I wrote yeah. uh, on the screen, you know. I saw a story. Same with Tintin. 
Yeah. A lot of that is ours and a lot of it isn't ours. But when those characters say a joke or a line that I wrote in a Steven Spielberg film, it's all good as far as I'm concerned. One more question, if I may. Oh, yeah. So my friend John Dreamer, who Mm. I made a film with, Superbob, he Mm. wanted me to ask you. I said, I'm seeing you. You're his, I think you're his favourite. He couldn't couldn't believe I was coming. He nearly cried. And he said... Can you please ask him about genre filmmaking in the UK? Is it uh, because that's what he wants to do more of mm. and it's so hard and I'm sure you have found it hard and how do you feel about it now at this point in your career? I don't see why it should be hard really. I think I think actually there's a real appetite for to make a good genre film because yeah. they have a chance of making a reasonable amount of money. The tricky thing is that you've got so much competition, which was very evident with both Attack the Block and The Kid Who Would Be King, because as soon as you make an action-adventure sci-fi film or a big kids' adventure film, you're immediately in competition with Hollywood movies that they market the living fuck out of and that cost four times... You know, we had a good budget on, on Kid Who Would Be King, but it was a third of all the movies we were up against. We were an original movie with no real stars. Mm. Everything else was a franchise with massive public awareness already behind it. So that's the tough thing if you make even a good genre movie over a certain budget is that you're suddenly in very deep water in terms of who you're competing against. But if you can be clever about about your idea and thinking of something that is visually novel but affordable... Mm-hmm and you can do it convincingly, then I, I really I don't see what should be holding people back in terms of going to companies and getting support. Because yeah. I think there's a lack of really good genre scripts out there, I think. That's the feel, I guess. You're a bloody optimist. Mo- well, we've established that, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> I think. It's a real thing with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I think so. I think, especially if you're a writer, the, the truth is, and, and having sort of knocked around a bit now, that, mm-hmm. that there aren't that many really good writers around yeah and if you are good you i think you will get work yeah so the thing is just to keep at it and keep keep working and keep improving would you ever direct something you didn't write well yes i think so and and uh, i get sent stuff all the time but you know adam and i have been very spoiled like we got our own tv show when we were 26 that week that we wrote directed lit edited yeah starred in literally shoved coat hangers up the actors <laughs> stuffed toys so so we've had this level of authorship from mm. very early on that has spoiled us a bit yeah and there is nothing more satisfying than something you've something that's completely come from your imagination yeah seeing it through to the end I, I heard like Tarantino saying that about once upon a time in Hollywood when he was doing his press interviews for mm. that saying, you know, how rewarding it is because none of that shit would have existed. It all, it all came from his brain. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that's really, really satisfying. Plus, when you're on the floor directing, you really, you've got real authority. Mm. You know it inside out and you can answer every single question that's because true. you've thought about it. It's, it's, it's from your heart, you know. You mm. don't need to think about it, actually. You just immediately know because you... Whereas my worry would be if it was someone else's thing that you'd be second guessing a bit. Yeah. Um, 
Joe, yeah. I forgot to tell you something. And I, I probably should have told you when I got yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And it's bad because you've got your, your place and your kid and your life's pretty really great, but yeah. I probably just got to say it. I'm sorry, I should have fucking said it when I got here. I just had to say it. Fuck. Um, you've died. You're, you're dead. I'm so sorry. Well, who are you to tell me this? Are you the Grim Reaper? I've been sent, yeah. You've I've, been sent by, yeah. Who, by whom? Him the man, him upstairs. Yeah. Her upstairs, Whoa. thank you. Her upstairs. Uh, how did you die? Well, I've been thinking about this yeah. because I've listened to your podcast. And we had this, Adam and I had this friend called Chad, who right. was an American exchange student. And he had body hair and mm-hmm. experience in the world long before we had it. He was an impressive figure. And he used to talk about what the most awful way to die was. Yeah. And he came up with this thing where he would say, okay, right, the worst way to die would be if you were in like a flume at a water park, yeah, right? Flume, One of those yeah. fiberglass tunnels. But it's in Oh, you're in a water slide. You're you know in a water mean? slide tunnel. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. But it's 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 sort of quite an acute angle and it's infinite. And you're sliding down it in your little swimming trunks. And there's a razor in the very middle of it, bisecting it vertically. But it starts incrementally. So your butt crack can't help but sit in it. And then it very, very gradually gets taller and taller until at the bottom of the flume, it completely... And he said, and he used to say, and that's really stuck with me over all these years. (laughs) He said, "Wouldn't wouldn't that be a terrible way to go? And that's what happened to you. But actually thinking about it now, <laughs> it might be a very sort of clean and pleasant way to go. It sort of depends how quickly it's splitting you in half, I suppose. But that's not how I want to go. That's oh, okay. just whenever people talk about, like, uh, whenever the idea of inventing a death comes up, that's what I think of. That's I'd like to go I'd like... I'd like to be at the bottom taking pictures for the, um, you know, when you get off a slide and there's like right. key chain pictures and stuff. Of, just of a perfectly bisected, bisected yeah, a bit like the, the guy in, in the lift in Damien Omen 2. Yeah, give what, it to what the family are other in a good, What other good, good bisections in movies? There's lots in, like, in, but Baby Cut and the River Sticks is there a mm. good one? Is yeah. there a good one in Itchy the Killer? Probably. Very, Feels very like sharp done And they sort of peel apart with yeah. little bits of sinew. Oh, lovely. Lovely stuff. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Delicious. Uh, well, how did well, you die? You well, I died, slide, I died like one of the vampires in one of Anne Rice's vampire novels. How did they die? Like the vampire Lestat yeah. or Interview with the Vampire. The vampire. Uh, so I've been alive for such a long time. I mean, I had a really good life as a mortal. Right. Then I got bit by a vampire. Right. When I was still sexy. Yeah. <laughs> that age, you know, just perfect, a little bit like super sexy. Mm-hmm. I got bit. And then I lived for thousands of years, Brett, literally thousands of years, until I was so bored. Yeah. I'd done everything. I'd indulged every... Because I'm a vampire. How many of you were knocking about? How many of me? How many, like, I don't know. I don't care about the other vampires. It's all about me. (laughs) But everyone you know is dead. Many generations. Oh, yeah, no. Historical periods have gone by. I've seen the future. I've seen every permutation. I've travelled all over the world. I've indulged my every nefarious whim. Yes. I've indulged my every altruistic whim. I've done it all. Right. The snag is, I, if I remember rightly in those novels, um, when a vampire dies, like if a vampire sucks another vampire's blood, they die. Oh. And it's incredibly painful. But by that point, I'd be so desperate for a new sensation yeah. that simply that level of pain would be very enjoyable. Refreshing. 
The vampire that kills you, is it the same vampire that made you a vampire? Uh, oh, I don't circular? know. I hadn't thought about that. It could be. Could be. That would be it's poetic. Nice. Yeah. It? That would be nice. That'd be nice. That you've travelled the world trying to find him again. Yeah. Do you know his name? I, I, it's Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. yeah. In, I knew in, in his, in his, or Brad Pitt, but in that outfit from yeah, Interview with the Vampire. Does that film hold up? I don't know. I haven't watched yeah. it for years, but I just like saying the, because everyone says uh. <laughs> I just like saying it and putting the emphasis on the word the. People go, what? Huh? Uh, with the vampire. I mean, I remember it being a t- touch wonky at the time, only because I'd read the novel and loved the novel. Oh, yeah? And the novel is a bit more out there than the book. Hmm. Um, but I don't know, I, I, man, I'm a sucker for Tom Cruise. I love Tom Cruise and love Tom Cruise. vampire teeth and a long wig. I'm, I'm in. Put him in a wig. Put him do, in you, a... <laughs> do you uh, worry about death? He should run a wig shop and yeah. all the uh, <laughs> dummies in the window would be him. Just his Mission Impossible peel yeah. off face. Yeah, exactly. The, the No, not platoon, the born on the 4th of July. That's quite a yeah, scraggly that's wig. that's a good wig. That's yeah. a great wig. That's actually. a great wig. What Did that win Oscar for best wig? Is there an Oscar for best? Well, I guess hair and makeup is yeah. the Oscar. It should have done. Hell of a wig. That is a hell of a wig. Let's just, I think we should just have a, <laughs> maybe a 40 minute silence <laughs> just to think about that wig. Tom Cruise's wig in Bonnet. And it yeah. changes. It's, it's, a an, it's an angry wig. Yeah. It's a wig that's been, that's seen things. It's a real um, Charlie's Theron in Monster wig. Yeah, it's, it's through like, a hedge backwards. I'm doing acting now. Are you? I'm going to wear a oh, wig. Oh, yeah. Well, you're quite an experienced actor, aren't you? Yeah, and if I wear a wig, you know I'm serious. <laughs> you know, this is, oh, he's doing a serious part. I look forward to that wig. He's wearing a fucking wig. Maybe sketch some on the way home. <laughs> okay. Start working on it. Uh, do you worry about death? God, I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not, yeah, I worry about it. Not yeah. that much, to be off, to be honest. Okay. Uh, that's not a very good answer, is it? Yes. Sounds like I haven't thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I'm the first person to tell you it might happen. Yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot you can do about it, is there? In fact, there was a piece in the paper, wasn't there, the other day about how human beings naturally don't think about it. We're wired somehow not to think about it because right. we can't calculate it. It's sort of nonsensical. Yeah. My thing is like, well, what was I doing before I was born? Yeah. Is that upsetting? Because that's just the equal and opposite. Like, am I really... Mm. Is, is it a really abstract, difficult and painful notion to think that I wasn't around in the mid-60s? Not really. <laughs> seemed like a torrid time. It yeah. did seem like a torrid time. A lot going on. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't. Now that I've got a baby, mm. a baby, yeah. I wouldn't want nice to pluck baby. out too soon. Thanks, mate. Mm. Well done. Cheers. Is there an afterlife for you? I really don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. Oh, is there for me? Like, do I? What do you believe? Oh, yeah, sure there is. Sure there is. Yeah, there is. There is. It's brilliant. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's absolutely, whatever it is, it's brilliant. Filled with okay. bebes? Uh, filled with bebes that have evolved in a way that makes their screams a bit quieter. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they can talk and walk a lot earlier. This is your first baby, right? Sure. Baby. baby number one. Baby number one. More to come? Isn't it a lot of fun? Bit soon, isn't it? Baby number one. Baby number one. Isn't it a lot of fun? <laughs> uh, a bit what? A bit soon. A bit late. Did, when you had the baby, this is a very personal question. Yeah. I'm going to ask it. You have to do, do it. it. When that baby was born, yeah. first time, come out. Yeah. Come out wherever it came out. Come out, baby. Come out. That's what the doctor said. Seen the baby. Did you think immediately, 
oh, love, 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 I'll die for you. Or did you think, fucking hell, that's a baby? Have you got a baby? No, but I always think, what would I think, would fucking that hell, that's a baby. Like I <laughs> well, that would be the sort of thing I'd think if I didn't think it was going to be a baby. <laughs> I thought you were going to give birth to a melon. Or maybe a, yeah. a monkey, or perhaps another cat. It's just like you said, Doctor. It's <laughs> a bear, it's a bear bear. Um, like, did you go, wow, shit? Or did you go, love, 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 love? This is, uh, or, this is scary. Well, you know, newborn babies are a bit like finding a shrew in the garden. They're very vulnerable. Mm. And they can't really see. Right. Uh, and so you don't... And one of the things that freaks out parents for the first time is how sort of um, disconnected and vulnerable a newborn baby is. Yeah. So I was ready for that because I'd done a lot of reading and been okay. to NCT classes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I did the crying and all that stuff. Yeah. It's pretty incredible, yeah. And now you, now I walk around in the world. I'm quite an old guy to be having the first baby, so this is old news for everybody else. But I think that guy was a baby. <laughs> yeah. I, I walked past someone in the street, like smoking a fag and really angry and thought, oh, you were like a... You were all covered in blood and really completely vulnerable. Couldn't see. And properly. somebody like really nurtured you. And this is what you ended up as. Yeah. No, it's just a weird thought, isn't it? Yeah, I think that a lot. Well, that's good that you felt love and stuff. I yeah, just had to definitely. Check, I guess. Yeah. No, some people don't. Some people take a while uh, mm. to, to get there. But yeah, I love, I love my baby. He loves the, he loves the baby. Yeah. Um, well, the good news is, in a way, there is a heaven, as, mm. as predicted. Mm. But they're obsessed with film in this heaven. Mm. Obsessed with it. Sounds like heaven to me. Yeah, absolutely obsessed with the screening rooms everywhere. Are they bores? The people. No, they're, yeah. they're the right mix. I of... There are a lot of annoying critics there. No, no critics. No critics. No critics. Critics allowed. aren't allowed into heaven. No. Okay. Can you imagine? All right. They're in purgatory. They're in purgatory they? being made to make films <laughs> that sometimes what get sent up there. justice. And we watch them and go, no thanks. All right. Um, you're in heaven and they, they talk to you, but not in an annoying way. Like they're open. They, they don't love British miserabilist cinema mm. up there, mm. which is good news, I think. Mm -hmm. But they want to know about your life, man. And they want to know about it through film. And the first thing they ask you is, what is the first film that you, Joseph Cornish, remember seeing? It's going to be like, the, that's the question. What's the, question the, first, is the first film, film I saw as a child? Well, the, yeah. the Jungle Book at the, what's now the Brixton Academy. Oh, really? used to be a cinema called the Astoria. And this was probably when I was three. Really? I just remember, because it's a huge uh, auditorium, the wow. Brixton Academy. It used yeah. to be a magnificent be music, music hall. Did you grow in up in day. Brixton? Yeah, well, here. Yeah. I grew oh, up in the house the... over the road. Oh, wow. So, and I remember sitting right at the very back of the circle, watching the Jungle Book. Wow. And then there used to be a cinema in Stockwell where I saw Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. What? And then uh, Flash Gordon I saw there as oh, well, nice. Last Flight of Noah's Ark. Do you remember mm. the, the all of it, that Jungle Book experience? No, no, no. I just have like a weird little, like, Terence Malicky uh, nibble. Of Beautiful it. woman looking down at you with yes. light behind her head. Somebody mumbling voice over. <laughs> Something about water, a lot of chat about water. Walking on the beach. Uh, yeah, so that that's the first the first really impactful experience was well. The, then I used to go and see a lot of movies at the Disney Cinema. You know, there used to be a dedicated Disney Cinema in London, no. where the Lumiere used to be 
in really? St. Martin's Lane. It's now a gym called Gym Box. Right. Boo. That used to be a beautiful cinema that used to show all Besson's films and Wings of Desire, beautiful big screen. Yeah. And before it was the Lumiere, it was a Disney cinema where they would just show Disney films all day. So they showed Sweet. one of our dinosaurs is missing. And when you went down those stairs that you go down to get into Gym Box, they had the dinosaur from one of our dinosaurs what? is missing. So we used to go there a lot. We used to go, my parents used to take me to the NFT that it was yes. called a lot. Then my parents' friend Pamela took us to see Picnic at Hanging Rock, which was, I think, a U certificate. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, or maybe an A. But we saw it age seven and it freaked the living shit out of what us. What did A mean? All right. A just meant, uh, oh, yeah, it meant all right. No, I think U is universal. A, maybe you had to be accompanied by an adult. Okay. You uh, filmed toddlers can see on their own. They can, if they can they just can get do the, the ticket. yeah, if they, one can learn to push another in a pram. Then you, <laughs> you see big groups of um, the under threes going into CUs. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine. But for A's, they need to be, you know, you need to have mm. an adult. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Actually. I can't remember what an A stood for. Uh, but anyway, it shouldn't have been an A because nothing visually shocking happens in Picnic at Hanging Rock, but mm. the atmosphere and the music and the mood is terrifying and it really a load of girls disappear load of girls in lovely white frilly dresses that disappear yeah when they get going on a picnic to yeah. hanging rock in australia mrs mangle from neighbors is there yeah. very famous actress in australia and yeah then they all disappear and then it goes on and on with a court case and shit do you have brothers and sisters i've got brother and sister yeah Older, younger? Both older. Close? I'm the youngest. Close? Yeah. Yeah, sister's in Australia. Oh. So not that so close. <laughs> and brother is, yeah, he's pretty close. We're pretty tight. He'll so, fuck you up if you cross me. Okay, cool, cool. That's not true. That. He won't. Did you he's go with him? He's a policeman? Yeah. Shut up. Yeah, he's quite high up in the policeman's. Is he? Mm. Is he crooked? <laughs> <laughs> no. In fact, my brother was one of the inspirations for the lead character in Hot Fuzz. No and one of the first people that Edgar and Simon interviewed for really? the character of Nick Angel was my brother. Oh, wow. So take from that what you will. He's a good boy. He's Dedicated. a very good brother, and I oh. love him very much. Thank you. That's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Did they go to the cinema with you, is, is my question. Well, my brother came to see Pete and get Hanging Rock with me, yeah. yeah. But no, a lot. Uh, yeah, I guess we went as a family, like most families when we yeah. were young, but I did love to go on my own from a very young age. Great. I went to Streatham, the ABC and the Odeon. Yeah. Uh, those were my two haunts. And yeah, I used to, I still do love going to the cinema on my own. Me too. I think it's the best way to do it. I saw Joker on my own yesterday. Yeah. How did you find yeah, it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I saw that on my own too. Mm. Yeah. Like I saw the new Halloween yeah. on my own at the Arclight in Los Angeles. Love that cinema. It's a good cinema, but uh, I did feel like somebody could creep up behind me. And attack me at any moment. And I quite, quite a few times I had to look over my yeah. shoulder to check that there wasn't a psycho. That's nice. Yeah. And in LA. There's a slight there. edge of terror always in LA. Yeah. Just because of the earth, the possibility of earthquakes. Yeah. And because everyone's in America's arms to the teeth. That's why they're so polite. That's why in America, if you're shopping and mm -hmm. someone crosses between you and the product, they go, excuse me. <laughs> Because there'll be a gun battle. Yeah. If you're not polite. Uh, speaking of scary, what's the scariest film you've ever seen? Okay, so 
you know, boring answer is, I think, the standard thing that a lot of people on this podcast say. And I and Jack Whitehall, I listened to his uh, interview on your podcast, mm-hmm. and he seems to suggest that a lot of people have friends who have VCRs, yeah, and the, and lax rules. And that happened to me. I had a friend called Jolly and Parsons, and we were eleven, and we rented The Exorcist and Zombie Flesh Eaters and Fame. <laughs> and which order did you watch these in? Uh, well, I remember being really freaked out by Fame starts with uh, an actor pretending to do a shit. Like it's a it's a medium close up of an yeah. actor and they're and they're straining yeah. I think and that shocked me. Yeah. That person's doing a poo in a film. Mm. So maybe we started with yeah. fame. Julia, then, turn it off. Put on yes. zombie flesh eaters. <laughs> Put on zombie flesh eaters. Oh my god, that woman's eyes being impaled by a splinter. <laughs> Take that off. Put on The Exorcist. <laughs> must be something oh, nice. <laughs> It was awful. I mean, it was a really sleepless... Mm. I didn't sleep that night. And in fact, I think it was the first time I'd ever stayed up all night, which is a very odd thing yeah. to do anyway, because you're aware of the weird metaphysical nature of existence. Yeah. Uh, what you mean, if I never went to sleep, I'd just be... A, the world would just be this weird continuum. And I, I don't know. So I had a sleepless night. I saw the sun come up and it was fucking horrible. Jolion went to sleep. Didn't give right. a shit. Water of a duck's back. Not bothered by an act. Not bothered by shit. young girls stabbing themselves with crucifixes. Right. Uh, but no, that was pretty grim. And mm. then uh, what else? And lots of really good VHSs. Because I'm of that age where, you know, early 80s, no certification. My family never had a VCR, but I knew lots of kids who right. did. So I was slap bang the right age to be watching videos when there was no certification. Nice. So, you know, Damien Omen 2 was a big one nice. in my scene of 10-year-olds. Frame advancing, the guy being sliced in half in the in the lift, as mentioned earlier. Uh, Alien was big for us, the Exterminator, mm-hmm. Excalibur, Carrie. Yeah, so I got pretty scared. Faces of Death used to be going oh, around. Oh, my. Oh my, I never watched Monkey that. Monkey Brains and shit. Cujo, I yeah. went to when I was 13 and it was a double A, it was a 15. Right. Creep Show, yeah. I went to when I was about 13 and it was a 15. And the first uh, episode of Creep, the first segment of Creep Show, George A. Romero's uh, compilation horror film, is called The Crate. What? Do you remember that? No. It's just a uh, sort of anthropologist who works in university who brings back a mysterious crate and leaves it in their lab and you don't know what's in the crate and what is in the crate just comes and kills everybody like the janitor i haven't seen it for a while but that was particularly terrifying to me Hmm. yeah Hmm. do you like being scared yeah i mean i do like being scared and i think you know a lot of it is chasing that that the the strength of that of the impact that those movies had when I was a little kid. Uh, both your films have horror elements in them. Yes. I'm very impressed with the, if I may say, and I only I sort of bring this up because I talk a lot in this podcast about not liking CGI. I was really impressed with it in Kitty Ruby King. I thought your oh, special thank effects you. were really... Well, great. we worked really hard. You look like it. Have you done that sort of stuff in uh, your work? CGI stuff. Yeah. In Superbob, there's five minutes of special effects. And did you work with a big company to do it? No, it was just one guy. One guy. Tiny. And did you, and it's it's hard work. Yeah. I mean, it's a really yeah, weird it's really thing. Hard. Because 
they're huge companies full of very brilliant people, but it's extremely impersonal mm. and it's very much an industry. So, I mean, all filmmaking is this weird junction between uh, 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 aesthetics and commerce, right? And yeah. an industry. But the special effects industry is a, is a proper industry. Mm. Like, uh, it's too boring to go into, but I've, I found it very much the toughest. And you have to push and push and push and push and make a real villain of yourself. Really? Yeah. And, and when there's as many shots as there were in mm. The Kid Who Would Be King, nice. and you've got a deadline and a limited amount of money, and you never meet the person who's doing the work. Really? You have a supervisor, and then it's Chinese whispers down to some man or woman in a room somewhere miles away. It's like ordering a picture to be painted um, over the phone (laughs) to someone in India or something. Pepperoni, it's got pepperoni on it. Yeah, but but if the pizza was extremely specific and you needed that piece of pepperoni in a very particular place, a particular size, a particular colour, a particular temperature, which is what you want. And then also each, stop me when this is boring. Not to me. Each shot is an individual meal for the company and it'll be done by a person that doesn't know what's in the shot before or later and there'll be a supervisor whose job is to oversee that but often the sheer number of shots is overwhelming for them and no human being can possibly keep track of it yeah so it's it's brutal did you have it all mapped out to start with sort of storyboard wise it's less brutal sorry to justine really your question if you're on a franchise movie where the design is set in stone Right. where the design's in. A Star Wars movie, the vast majority yeah. are, are established, especially if you're inventing stuff from the ground up, mm. then it can be very difficult. Sorry, what was your question? Uh, I guess I'm assuming you had to like have it all mapped out storyboard-wise to start with this. Yeah, we, you, we do previs. previs so yeah. there's this great company called Third Floor who do sort of, uh, I want to say N64, but it's actually come on from that. It's like sort of slight, slightly primitive computer graphics versions of the right. sequences. And we, we had to start editing those action sequences while we were shooting The Kid Who Would Be King. So I'd come home, I'd come off the set and I'd go into the editing room until about 11pm, then go back to the hotel, do a bunch of emails, then go to sleep for five hours, then get up and shoot again because you had to complete the sequences and get them into the yeah. effects pipeline in order to have them done on time for delivery. And, and, and you know, not to disparage the people at effects companies who work incredibly yeah. hard you know, like amazingly hard because everything has effects now. Every TV series, mm-hmm. like as an audience, our expectation of eye candy, even in, you know, episodic television has rocketed yeah. in the last 10 years. So there's enormous demand on these uh, companies and um, they do amazing stuff. But yeah, it's a big managerial. Um, and that's the thing that freaks me out as somebody who tries to be quite uh, a nice person is you have to you you reach a line where mm. you have to be a bit assertive and a bit of an asshole in terms of just being persistent yeah. in order just to get it done to a standard. How are you on set as a director? Are you really nice the whole time? Did you ever lose your temper? Uh, yeah, I lose my temper if I think something hasn't been thought through properly, right? Or if something's been uh, sloppily done. If if there's loads of actors and everyone else else on the set and a department is sort of letting the side down, yeah, that can be really and not frustrating. Um, can I so ask I what did, you're like when you lose your temper? Are you shouty? I got shouty one time, <laughs> uh, but that was because of actually a safety thing on on Kitty Would Be King, right? 
I thought somebody was doing something unsafe. But you're really not supposed to do that. Like your job as a director, you have the first AD, you have a million mm. people around you who you could just quietly, politely say, oh, would you shout at everyone? Would you do the shouting <laughs> for me? Well, you know, that's what first aid is. Yeah. First ADs are brilliant at, at knowing how to handle that kind of thing whilst keeping everybody mm. happy. But I, there one time I forgot to do that. Right. And in fact, the person that I shouted at just didn't turn up for work. I didn't shout at them, but the person I had stern words with didn't <laughs> didn't turn up for work the next day. Oh, he's gone to work on Detective Pikachu. <laughs> no. Fair enough. Oh, um, but no, by and large, no, because it's a, such an enjoyable job. I love it. Oh, so I, I hope that by and large, I'm really happy and relaxed. That's great. You're so lucky to be doing it, don't you think? I think that every day. Genuinely, yeah. I do. I think whenever, even when it's really stressful, I go, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Yeah, exactly. It's a privilege. Yeah, huge. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. What is the film... That made you cry the most, and are you a cry? Well, yeah, I'm a cry. So ones that have made me cry recently: uh, Shoplifters, the Coriander. Oh, fucking love that was my film. Creepers, creepers. I mean, we were in bits. Yeah. Uh, there's a movie called Summer 1993. It's really, really good. Little girl, her parents die. She mm. goes to live with her aunt, and it's incredible performance. It it is an incredible f- performance from this little girl and an even younger girl. Mm. who have this sibling rivalry and it just does a brilliant thing at the end <laughs> that, you, that you don't know it's doing and it does a thing at the end it lets a character do something at the end right. that you didn't realize they hadn't done mm-hmm. for the last hour and 20 minutes and then they do it and you <gasps> you go oh uh, my god and is then, it crying uh it could be is it that she hasn't uh, cried yeah oh god and then, <laughs> and then yeah, that was just like a fucking tap turned oh, on no. for me so that's really good you know, yeah, I know I'm definitely a crier. E.T. as a kid, I know I'm not allowed to mention it, but I was bang on the right age for that movie. Did, um, do you cry in life without films? Are you a crier? Well, I used to cry at stuff like, um, what was that Scylla Black show where she made people's dreams come true? Surprise, surprise. Yeah. I don't cry at funerals, mm. but surprise, surprise really gets me. Yeah. <laughs> That's maybe that's okay. That's just healthy. That's just sort of diverse. But it means I think it emotion into a safe place. That's it. I think yeah. I don't cry in life, but I cry at films yeah, and adverts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But is that because I'm scared of other people in real life seeing me vulnerable? Probably, Brett. 
Yeah. But you're, you're one of us. You're a psychopath. Yeah. So welcome 100%. to the club. We've established that. 100%. But no, I loved it. But, but I must say, <coughs> European films I find easier to get emotional about, especially because the thing I love about them and I used to love about them is often you don't know the actors. So you believe. Yeah. You believe in. I personally believe in them more. I can believe the people are the people and the artifice is less obvious if it's a European movie um, or a foreign movie. Uh, what is the film that people hate, generally critically uh, derided, yeah. but you're like, you idiots, this is the best film ever? This is a tricky one. I don't like being, I don't like slagging off other people's work, whatever it is, because it's hard. Oh. It's a tedious truism, but it is true that to finish any movie. Any movie being any good film, is a miracle. Even a short film. Even an like even getting your mates together and shooting a sketch is tough. To stay the course and finish it, yeah. just finishing stuff is tough. Yeah. But having said that, this is a positive one. We're <laughs> so this about... is the film that is supposed to be bad, but you love unashamedly. Yeah. So Siegfried and Roy's Magic Box. <laughs> Have you ever seen Siegfried and Roy's Magic Box? No. Have you thought about Siegfried and Roy's <laughs> and their magic box? No, but now you put it in my head, it's all I will think about. Would you? Put your hand in it. <laughs> no. So this is a film that they made. It's an IMAX film. And wow. me and my partner, Annabelle, and a yeah. bunch of friends went to see it at the IMAX in New York. We were high on grade B drugs. Nice. And I think it was in 3D. I can't remember because okay. everything's in 3D, really. Yeah. Uh, so it was either just a continuity of 3D-ness. You don't like, oh, it was in 2D. Mm. Like I walked in the cinema. Everything was in 3D. The film started. It's fucking 2D. This is so flat. This is so flat. This is bullshit. No, I think it might have been in 3D. And it tells the story of Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried discovers a magic book in a merchant's window. So it starts off dramatised. It's very camp. Uh, He desires it as a means to solve his problems with his father at home. Young Siegfried is wearing lederhosen through the whole uh, opening of this film. It's narrated by Anthony Hopkins. Young Roy, meanwhile, spends time at the Bremen Zoo and eventually liberates Chico the Cheetah. Oh, I was going to say something filthy then, but I stopped myself. Never, he, never <laughs> said to yourself. He takes a cruise ship bound for New York where he meets Siegfried, the resident magician, and joins his act. It's the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. It's very spectacular. Sounds wonderful. Uh, it's incredibly wrong, and I loved it. What's in the magic box, or is that a spoiler? Would that spoil Siegfried's it? cock. Okay. <laughs> Or Roy's cock, I don't know. <laughs> Can't tell the difference. Yeah, no, that's well, not one of them. It's, it's full of magic. Yeah. It's full of magic. It's when absolutely it's... stuff full of magic. Um, that sounds great. It's really good. And the thing is, it's never, I don't think it's ever been, I, I sometimes fantasize about hiring the BFI IMAX and, sh- and showing it, but I don't know whether there's a, a print that exists anymore. I've got it on DVD. Have you? But to recreate, you know, an IMAX mm. print of it yeah. in an IMAX, because I doubt it's screened that regularly. Yeah. You're the first time I've heard of it, and it sounds wonderful. It, um, it isn't. <laughs> I mean, we, it is. If we can be slightly negative, what's a film that you used to love, but you've watched it recently and you're like, I don't like this anymore? But it might not be because it's bad, it might be because your feelings of the world have changed. Well, my answer to this is, is, uh, is movies that I've just rinsed. Yeah, that's fair. That I've seen so many times. Yeah. I'm almost like, I don't know what I'm watching anymore. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know what I'm watching. I just, yeah. like, so Superman 2. Okay. Uh, I watched recently Projected, and it it had turned that corner. Right. 
like all I could see were the drawings mm. and and plus I know a lot more about filmmaking than I did when I was a child and saw it so I was starting to see right just the complete artifice of it plus the editing rhythms are very dated now mm-hmm. the the speed of the story being told just a lot of it's very dated so superman 2 flash gordon i've seen that movie so many times it's almost just like i don't know what it's like like running a bath or something i don't know um and then the other uh, category i would say is problematic movies like yeah. manhattan yeah is odd to watch now just one of the guys 16 candles with long duck dong yeah. Um, where there's a gong sound every time he appears. Soul Man <laughs> with C. Thomas Howell. Soul Man. Like, so there's a whole... Yeah. Those are the two categories that yeah. I, would, I, would, I would refer to as an answer to your question. Movies that, have, uh, that I've rinsed and movies that just time has changed one's perspective on. I think that's it. I think that yeah. is a fair and kind yeah. answer. Yeah. What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily because the film itself is any good, but because of the memory you have around the experience of seeing that film. Could have been a first date, could have been a day you got a job, could have been the day your baby was born. My baby. I've got, I've got four choices, okay? You can choose. Okay, I will. Close Encounters, The Black Stallion, Die Hard, or Au revoir les enfants. And there's all a story attached to all four of them. Yeah, they okay, get, they're not encounters. very good. Well, Close Encounters, my uncle Simon was the art editor of the Bufora magazine, the British UFOlogy magazine. Really? Yeah, um, which is an amazing magazine. I've got boxes of back issues somewhere in the garage full of all these sketches of alien encounters <laughs> and aliens. And um, at that time, I didn't know they weren't real. We, My mum used to take me to the Brixton Library and I found as a kid on the shelf a reference book full of alien encounters. It was in the reference section of the library. Yeah. So as far as I was concerned, this was something I had to prepare for. It was very likely that yeah. I would meet an alien. You know, my mm-hmm. my uncle did this as a professional endeavour. So he yeah. took me to see it. But I think the Odeon Haymarket that's gone now. So that, and it was, like, it's a good film. I don't know whether you've seen it. Close Encounters? Yeah. I love Close Encounters. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? It's, I watched it recently at the Open Air Theatre as well. I love it so much. I think it's wonderful. Which Open Air Theatre? You know the one where they do in Hyde Park. Oh yeah, they have, they did a cool. screening. We watched it in the rain. It's, it's really good. I think it's. I'm obsessed with it because I say this and then we go back to it. But and I, what I don't like about it is that Steven Spielberg says he wouldn't do this anymore. Yeah. But I really think it's interesting that the dad leaves his family for his obsession. And yeah. Steven Spielberg says I I would never have a character do that now, and I'm like, but that's what makes the film yeah. so. Uh, complicated and yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I love that film. Anyway, and it's got moments of domestic drama. Yeah, incredible that are you know, and it's no coincidence that Truffaut's in it. But there's yeah. this, the the divorce stuff is Jeez. to have a movie with that stuff, and then also the kind of psychedelic rock concert stuff. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Is quite something. Uh oh, baby, baby, crying, baby crying. Um, so anyway, that was just a particularly impactful, and it. It terrified me. Plus, a bunch of my family live in Devon and we used to go there on a holiday and a lot of them had seen, said they'd seen UFOs. Or ball lightning. There was a big... No, there was a UFO story about a UFO drifting across the fields behind my grandmother's house and dipping over the hedges. She swore she'd seen it. 
So, and you know what? Have you ever been to Devon? I think I have. It gets very dark there, particularly in North Devon. It's like one of those special places where you can still see, you know, there's no ambient light. The dark is absolutely pure black. The sort of pure black that my Sony projector struggles to hit. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, very it's very frightening and very impactful. Plus, you don't know how films are made right when you're that age. Like no. as far as I was concerned, this shit just happened. It was a documentary, and someone was lucky enough to. You don't really notice edits, do you? When you're no. a kid, it just seamlessly flows. So yeah, that was frightening. What? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Sexy time. It's sexy time, Jay. Let's get Not comfortable. Again. Let's put on a horror film and get comfortable. <laughs> what? <laughs> is the sexiest film you've ever seen. So I've got a few for you here. Great. I mean, Ornella Muti and Flash Gordon mm. uh, is insanely sexy. Yeah. I mean, just insane in that outfit. Yeah. And she is a generally very attractive lady. I have a good friend who was a child actor who played her son wow. and had to do a scene where he was in bed with her mm-hmm. as mother and son, and he didn't have very, well, you know, there were eatable shit going on <laughs> in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also, if you're a fan of Ornella Muti and her beauty, her Muti beauty, yeah, the then there's a movie called The Most Beautiful Wife, an Italian film that I highly recommend, about yes. the, in, in which she's 15. So you, you admire her, her aesthetic beauty. Yes. Um, okay. And she's the daughter. She's basically the most beautiful girl in the village. It's Italy, and it's the seventies. Okay, so things so are different. Fine. The son of the mafia boss. Yeah. His father dies. He's a bit of a loose cannon. He says, "I'm I'm marrying her," and he's never been told no to anything in his life. And she says, "No." That's Italian for yeah. no. <laughs> no. And uh, he won't take no for an answer. That's all I'll give you. But it's fucking, it's fucking good, Brit. That's the same uh, setup as Beauty and the Beast. I did that voice is it? Yeah. Gaston's well, it's... like I'm Marion Bell, and she's like, right, no, but she's English for right, no. <laughs> well, I think the ending's different. Right. That's all I'll say. Okay. Uh, the opening titles of the Spy Who Loved Me. So they are, yeah, very yeah, they're sexy. very sexy, and there's a story sexy behind song. that. In that they finished it. What's his name? Who who designed all those things? Saul Bass, is it? No, no, come on, he's a famous designer. His name escapes me. But mm. they finished it so late, right? That uh, and it was a royal premiere, like most of the Bonds were. They delivered the title sequence very late, too late for it to be BBFC censored. They weren't called the BBFC, the British Board of Films, or whatever they were called then. Yeah. So it's actually a sort of 15 opening sequence Ooh. in uh, a, an A film because it's got full nudity. It's got boobies in it, It's got it? boobies. It's got more than boobies. So it's got bum bums. It's got personal columns. <laughs> it's got boobies and bum bums and all sorts of bits when they're bum sp- spinning around the gun barrels. Yeah. yeah. it's And I saw that very young and mm. that, I mean jeepers creepers it was inspiring changed your life certainly changed some of my nocturnal habits wow um <laughs> changed my going to bed routine um <laughs> Started going to bed it, had, it had a heavy impact on bath time let's uh-huh. just say that officer and a ge- the sex scene in an officer and a gentleman okay sexy yeah. hated each other apparently yeah that's what makes it more sexy yeah name of the rose yeah in a barn in a church. In a barn. In a and it's one of those terrible female characters who's a sort of um, 
enfant sauvage, you know, like it's a terrible cliche, like the like the lead woman in The Fifth Element, oh, like right. um, you know, a sort of yeah. <laughs> like a very attractive woman who can't speak yeah. or understand things. But For some reason, this sort of, of type appears in a lot of films written and directed by men. It's okay. I'm going to teach you some things. It's a bit like that in The Name yeah. of the Rose. She's just a sort of feral girl mm. that lives off scraps outside the monastery, yeah. and but happens to be very horny. Mm. Not sure how common that is. <laughs> anyway, she has it off with, um, with Christians sooner or Slater. Uh, and then, okay... Yeah, so the lover, Jean-Jacques Arnaud, uh, with a sinner from Jane, Jane Marsh. Don't say it like you don't know her name. Jane Marsh. Marsh <laughs> Jane Marsh. Marsh. The sin, no, known the at the time as the sinner from Pinner. Yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> wonderful film. I saw that film with, uh, I thought it was an art film, and I saw it with it my is. best friend's girlfriend. Yeah. They'd been together for years. Mm. Like, so, hey, and we, we didn't go to cinema a lot, but hey, do you want to? Let's go and see the lover. It's a it's a film about um, uh, it's a film about love. It's a romantic <laughs> film. And there's just like there's a sex scene where he basically polishes the floor with her, mm. uh, uses her sort of like a mop. Mm. Have you seen it? It's a wonderful film. <laughs> it's from, a ridiculous from film. Start to end. But I was very. I, it just was a very uncomfortable. And I eventually I said, listen, we should go. Uh, she was in a film which was considered a very bad film that I saw called Colour of Night. With yeah, Bruce the Bruce Willis, Willis movie, yeah. Seen that? Yeah. It's got lots of sex in it, which is great, yeah. but it also has her disguised <laughs> as a boy. Yeah. It's got it's got Bruce's Willis in it's it. It's got Bruce's Willis yeah. in it, in the bath. Yeah. With her. And there's like a twist that she was the boy in the group. But when you yeah. watch it, it's just her in a short wig. Yeah. And so when the twist comes, you're like, yeah. Jane Marsh in the Witch, <laughs> as she has yeah. been now. No, I must rewatch it. You're making me want to rewatch it. It's pretty good because also he's he's colorblind, which serves no story purpose at all. Right, really? But it's called he, he, what's it called? Color of Night. The Color of Money. <laughs> color of Night. The Color of Night. That'd be a good double bill. Yeah. Now I have to pick one from that list, don't I? Oh um, well, do you? Yeah. I thought that was it. I said everything I've got to say about them. Really, we can't just have all of them. We can only have one. Oh, you got, I've got. I'm pick. giving you the lover. You sold me on the lover. It's made me want to watch it again. It sounds great. That's the guy who made the bear, right? Yeah, he likes women and bears. Good luck to him. That's the film he hasn't made yet. But um, <laughs> she's very beautiful. She is the sinner from Pinner. And Where is she now? Just in Pinner sinning. <laughs> as, in, in a pinny. As per, uh, what there is a subcategory to this question. Um, mm. I get nervous to ask some people this. I'm not nervous to ask you. Mark Homer told me off of this question, mm. but it's staying. Troubling boners, worrying wide-ons. A film mm. you found arousing that you thought perhaps you shouldn't. What is a wide-on? It's where a lady is aroused. All right. Really? Um, <laughs> which film did you find arousing that you shouldn't? I don't really have a good answer for this because I don't feel shame. That's great. About <laughs> about that sort of thing. I mean, it is already... I'm not somebody who gets, like, finds Jessica Rabbit. Right. Arousing. Really? I mean, I tell you what is troubling is Japanese um, erotic animation. Mm. You know, for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. When we, we... Adam and I made a series called Adam and Joe Go Tokyo where we stayed in 
uh, we lived in Tokyo for a few months, and we went to a cosplay convention right. where there were various famous animators. So we walked into this hall, and there were little stands, yeah. very, very long queues, all of men and boys. Yeah. And you couldn't quite see what was on the stand, but there'd be big displays around the stand of very sexy uh, uh, cartoon girls with huge eyes, you know, slightly paedophilic, mm. slightly dodgy stuff. And then, and then so we'd have a look, oh, who is, who are they all queuing up for? And it would be just a big fat man <laughs> <laughs> signing. The, and he said, well, there isn't, a, there isn't a woman in this yeah. equ equation anywhere. It was very, it was very odd. So that stuff, for that reason, and for all sorts of reasons, I find because there was a phase when that stuff mm. around the time that Akira was huge. Yeah, there was a phase where that stuff was a little bit illicit and exciting. But um, like Perfect Blue, Perfect Blue is quite good actually. Yeah, but there's a, that stuff I find troubling. But then I don't find it very arousing. You don't feel shame is really the key point here. Well, animation is such a weird thing to be like. It's just weird, isn't it? It is weird. It's just weird because it's not, it's not real, really. But you don't feel shame in your life? Are you not... Well, I don't... F not, not really. I don't feel I've got an enormous amount to be ashamed about, apart you, from my early short films. <laughs> do you get embarrassed? Do you suffer from embarrassment? Well, like, yeah, I get embarrassed at my... I embarrass myself. Right. I mean, what have we been doing for the last hour? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what is the greatest film of all time, objectively? It's very hard to answer this one. Mm -hmm. Because I think... I mean, what does that mean, great film? I mean, people say Citizen Kane, I suppose, because it has terrific technique, it embodies a life... Mm -hmm. The acting's terrific. It's sort of ticking all the... He predicted what he'd look like in the future. Exactly. There we go. It's ticking all the aspirational boxes, but it's so subjective, isn't it? I guess the way I often put it for this question is, it might not be your favourite, mm. because I don't think Citizen Kane is anyone's favourite film. Well, that's what's weird about the question. But it's more aliens come, they go, what's the pinnacle of cinema if we can only watch one? If they, I'd give them a bunch or tell them to fuck off back to Mars. Right. I don't, I think it's... They've uh, come to Devon, they've bounced around the back of you. Well, then I'd, I'd say probably Lawrence of Arabia, but I'd want them, I'd want them to watch a 70 mil print. That's lovely. They'll on a big, that. big old screen. That's great. That's, That's a great really answer. good, isn't it? It is really good. But it's not, you know, it's a film you watch, one watches every like six or seven years. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's a long one, but it's young. pretty amazing. The aliens are like, we've only got four hours. But then stuff like Alien, Die Hard, Terminator 2, The Shining, 400 Blows. You know, there are those movies yeah. that... It's interesting when a new video format comes out, like 4K, the movies they... Yeah, that come yeah. out. I mean, Alien, Blade Runner, uh, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, they. It, those are sort of... Staples. Yeah, they're, they're like... They're, they've got something actually, you know, because they've just released The Wizard of Oz... Lawrence of Arabia is available for streaming in 4K, but not on disc. Citizen Kane isn't, hmm. but Alien fucking is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It holds it's up. amazing. Yeah. Alien's amazing. Yeah. Like Alien is really, it's so good. I yeah. mean, I would die to have made Alien, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, it's fucking good. It's such a good film. And to to come at that moment where you're taking a... This is the key thing, to take a genre that hasn't been taken seriously mm. and do it in a way that... It's sort of what Joker's done to one extent or another, but to do it in such a human-grounded way is to just be at that level professionally, at that cultural moment, and have everything aligned to do that. Star Wars sort of did it, mm-hmm. but to take a genre that's become dismissed and then just uh, make it real, like Alien did, is such a key thing to do. What is the film you most relate to? You've been waiting for this question. <sighs> well, not re- uh, I Well, I had a problem with... Brat Pack movies when mm-hmm. I was a teenager. You know when one is at one's most idiotic? It's yeah. probably 16, 17, mm-hmm. 15, 16, 17. You're, I mean, I was a dick. There's just, it's just a confluence of biological, social, hormonal, mm. cultural influences. You're just awful. I yeah. was just awful. And you're very vulnerable. Mm. to terrible things yeah (laughs) so i just we you know me and adam and uh, we were just hit between the eyes by you know st elmo's fire and just fucking i mean that's not a great film is it no but were you like were you like that's us a little bit i sort of want we knew we knew we weren't but we wished it was yeah like i saw top gun in San Francisco long before my friends did because I went on holiday to San Francisco right. and that was when there used to be a, a six-month window between American releases and British releases. Yeah. I was so jealous of all my friends who went to America the whole time and always came back to school and went, oh, I've seen this and that and I couldn't see it for months. Yeah. I'd seen Top Gun ahead of time. I thought, right, I'm going to get a Top Gun jacket and I'm going to rock that look before anyone else in the UK has. Now, they didn't sell the jackets or the little sew-on badges. So I bought just a bomber jacket. Mm -hmm. I couldn't for love nor money find any little US Air Force pin-ons. So I drew them on in Tipex. That's so good. And I wore that jacket. Adam's got video of me in the London Underground with me wearing like a faux Top Gun jacket with Tipex insignia on. No one knew the film existed. It's like, what? What? Why has that spotty boy? Why? Why has he drawn? What has he drawn in Tipex? Tipex doesn't hold up well either. On please, cloth can you thing. release this footage onto your Instagram? Adam's got it. Okay, it's up to him. Um, what is the one film you could or have watched the most over and over again? Well, I did. It's a very tough one. This again. Um, because you've rinsed a lot. Yeah, and you don't really want to do that, do you? Because mm-hmm. you kind of kill them a bit. So I really don't know. I put the Black Stallion, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could watch that over and over again. It's a really good but you movie, have. the Black Stallion. I've watched yeah. it a lot because it's sort of the. Uh, it's got adventure components mm. with the sh- amazing shipwreck sequence at the beginning. Then it's got a sort of nature documentary with the kid and the horse. Have you seen it? I have. When I was a kid, yeah. Uh, which is so beautifully shot. It's the first film I saw on my own in the cinema, so it's it had uh. a big, made a big impression on me. Then it's got the bit I don't love is the Mickey Rooney training stuff in the middle, but even that's quite good. Right. And then uh, it's got the amazing horse race sequence and the triumphant ending. Mm-hmm. Just the different tech, the, the shooting techniques in it are really, really good. 
Terminator, Terminator 2, I think I could watch a lot. Yeah. Like some of the best action sequences ever in terms of um, uh, geography, geography yeah. clarity, um, Raiders. Yes, of course. But even Raiders, if you watch it too much, start you start noticing continuity errors and stuff like How that. How often do you struggle to watch a film as in to just get lost in a film these days? With your filmmaking brain. Oh no, it? is he? Uh, it's fine. Oh good. Yeah. No, I don't struggle. I'm worried at all. about you because <laughs> you've said a few times you notice this, you notice that. I that. think it's just it's just I'm fifty, you know. So so right. movies I saw when I was um, a teenager, I've now been watching regularly for more than thirty years. Hang about, you're fifty. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. Well, you're in good nick. Thank you. Fifty. Very, very old. Yeah. Born but, in December '68. Bloody hell. Yeah. There's no getting around it, Brett. Shit. Can't do anything about it. Might as well face up to it. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, you don't like being negative and I'm not, you know, we'll be quick and I get it. You're absolutely right. Films are so hard to make and any film is an achievement. So mm. when we ask this question, we don't mean like, and it should be burned. Mm. We just go, it didn't work for us. Okay. But, but well done you. What is the worst film you ever saw other than uh, Siegfried and Roy's Magical and that's a very good film film, as we've discussed Um, well I've put well Masters of the Universe I went to see with Adam and Louis that is fair when we were at school and we struggled yeah we weren't big fans right but we struggled we thought maybe it wasn't as good as they hoped it was going to be Louis didn't like it at all really he's very intellectual (laughs) didn't like it so serious man he's always been that way give my regards to Broad Street Paul McCartney film I took a friend's. I did. Ba- I babysitted a lot when I was a teenager, and yeah. I took a friend's son to see it. Anyway, he farted. So it was so pungent, the sort of fart only an eleven-year-old can do. You mm-hmm. know, really, really savage. Yeah, <laughs> picon sort of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know that. Uh, just really mm. strong, and somehow the experience of the film and that smell. Yeah. Really, really. <laughs> I don't know that film. Paul McCartney of. directed it. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, he didn't direct it. It's a sort of concert movie, come drama. Oh, great. Uh, it's not good. Someone to watch over me. So, so Deborah I, Winger. Uh, it's, Tom Berenger. Yeah. Is it really Scott? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying the film is bad, but I was very ill when I saw it. Okay. And sometimes when you're ill and you watch a film. Mm. Your illness permeates the film. You and made the you, film ill. And when you watch it again, it, it's carrying the virus. Yeah. So I can't watch okay. someone to watch over me because it'll give me flu. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. The sweetest thing. Which Cameron is? Diaz. Oh, yes. Sort yes. of being a lady's answer to a lad's comedy. Yeah. It's got the vagina song in it or something. It's the penis song. The penis song. My penis. Your penis is too big to fit in here. Mm. Is the chorus. I just struggle with that one. So that, that's that's my answer <laughs> that's to good. your question. That's good. Um, what is the film that made you laugh the most? You're in comedy. You're a funny man. What's the funniest one to you? Well, these are, are these are obvious answers, and and these are times I remember like un, like hysterically, yeah. uncontrollably, like you know, not a not a not a thoughtful laugh. Yeah, but proper muscle spasm. And it's not an original answer, but Spinal Tap, ABC Fulham Road, 1984, with my friend Omar. 
Oh, you saw it at the cinema? Yeah, when it first came out. And there were only two other people in there because I remember, and they were kids, I remember telling them to shut up. Really? And it was quite an important moment yeah, in my life huge. when I was old enough to tell someone else to shut up and not be worried, worried about being stabbed. And when the, you know, the Stonehenge model, mm-hmm. the miniature, that, we just absolutely killed ourselves. And then Hot Rod uh, at the Arc Light Hollywood in 2007. Really? Probably high with Edgar and the bit where uh, they, they're walking along and you're the voice kicks in and the guy picks up the dustbin and throws it through the window. That made me crack up. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, Spinal Tap is the... I like it a lot. The, uh, What's that? That's Austin Powers, isn't it? Yeah. It's probably not allowed anymore. <laughs> Joe Cornish, what a fucking delight. Well, thank you, Brett. Thank you for doing this. Not at all. Over. When you, uh, you were at a water park, right, and you saw you were about to get on a slide and someone says, you know, it's got a razor and it's infinite. And you went, yes. You know, what? I'm not going on that one. You walked, you bumped straight into Tom Cruise in a wig, one of his acting wigs, and he bit you on the neck, turned you into a vampire. Yes. And you were like, bloody hell, I didn't see that coming. But you didn't mind it, actually, because you were interested in the future. Uh, you lived way past everyone you know, Adam, Louis, your wife, your baby, everything. You had, you had a new, not your wife, your partner, you had a new partner, you had new children. You, you experienced, finally, in the year 3,400... I'm not sure, can vampires pro- procreate? I don't think... Don't they some... make babies that grow really quickly, like in Twilight or something? I don't know. No, I've never seen Twilights. I've followed this. They use this plural, Twilights. I've never seen them. <laughs> never seen the Twiglets. No. Uh, well, you've you got to the year 34,500 when Brexit finally happened. Yes. And you saw changing regimes, the state. You saw all sorts of things. Yeah. You saw flying cars. You saw the, the abolition of flying cars. You saw Flankhouse come back again for a bit, then Concord was around for a bit. You saw all stuff. You started to realise that life was entirely cyclical mm. and that even though the technology changed, people remained the same. And at that point, you got mm. slightly disillusioned mm-hmm. with the future and you started travelling the world looking for Tom Cruise to kill you so that you could finally die. Yeah. And you went to Tokyo and you found an anime festival and there was a very, very fat man who was the size of three rooms. Mm. He was signing pictures of boobies that mm. he'd drawn out of his own head. Mm. And there was Tom Cruise sat at the back having a, having a uh, fruit corner with blood in one corner and mm. yoghurt in the, in the big bit. He was just putting blood into the yoghurty bit mm. for a new taste sensation. And you said, Tom Cruise, with your acting wig on, I finally found you. Will you please bite me again so I may die? And he said, uh, yeah, all right, now? And you said, yeah, here's as good as any place. And he bit you on the neck and he sucked out your blood and you died. And you collapsed on the floor. But as you fell on the floor, over in the corner over there, another very fat man said, I'm open for autographs. And he held up a picture of some big cartoon boobies. <laughs> An entire room full of people stamped over your body to get to him. So your body was a fucking... Mess. I'm, I'm dead sorry. though. At this You're point. dead now. Yeah. But your body was trampled. It's in bits. Got mm. bits of cardboard, bits of carpet, everything. Mm. I show up. Muggins here. Clean up the, the old mess. Muggins. <laughs> Scrape you up. But there's yes. so much more of you than I thought because of all this shit that's happened with all the squashing about, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
All the bits I'm picking up that's attached to you. Anyway, stuff you in the coffin. There's more of you than I'd planned for. So the coffin is absolutely stuffed. Stuffed with stuffed corn with sludge. Corn, cornish pasties everywhere. Mm. And I, there's only room in this coffin for one DVD. One Blu-ray? No, oh, it's a DVD. Oh, man, I was wondering where this was going, and now I realise. <laughs> so you to take to the other side. Right. The other side, there's movie night every night. One night, it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone? Well, what I'm really, because when I read this on your email, what I was really concerned about was the technical setup yeah. available. Like, I'm disconcerted by the idea of DVD. I know. Am I allowed a 4K disc? I think, listen, what I've been I thinking talking is about 720? you hand the DVD to God yes. and then she converts it into a project, into uh, actual film. Cellular. Okay, so I am watching a full quality Yeah theatrical but she will so you're really ask me what, what movie yeah so this is sort of the same question as what's my favorite movie no not necessarily no. it's the film you're showing to everyone in heaven oh, that i'm showing to everybody it's your movie night when it's your turn well i want to read the present? room now like what's the what's the uh louis louis armstrong's there right ella fitzgerald's there oh this is tough isn't it i mean many uh many an evening has gone by where you where you decide to watch a film and then 90 minutes later you're still deciding Mm. Uh, so I'd probably go for well I'd go for something short because when you're watching films in big groups it's good to go 90 minutes or less because okay. you're going to have some lightweights with you okay. I'd go for something quite arresting and fun so I'm thinking Evil Dead 2 lovely or maybe Raising Arizona lovely I think I would go for one of those how long is Raising Arizona? 102 minutes is it 87 that is the year 94 minutes yeah four minutes will be credits okay that's raising fine. arizona or evil dead 2 i'd probably go because we're in heaven mm -hmm. i'm just wondering how the satanic elements of evil dead 2 would play mm. probably a sort of enjoyably foolish yeah it's it would be a bit afterlife like, elements but it also might too. be inappropriate enjoying the suffering of others if that sort of thing really was going on. Yeah. So I might go for Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona it is. Yeah. Um, Joe Cornish, you've been wonderful. Is there anything you would like to tell people to look out for or to listen to or to watch? Other no, to plug. Not really, no. Um, if you've got kids and they're between the ages of, say, 8 and 13 and, and they haven't seen Kid Would Be King, then show them Kid Would Be King because... I'd agree with that. We tested that movie very thoroughly before it was released, mm -hmm. and it and it scored, you know, really highly um, across the board with all age groups, Brett. Yeah. But particularly uh, with that age group, eight and, to thirteen. Yeah, mm. like if you're ten, eleven, it can really hit your sweet spot. Yeah, that'd be your favourite film. I'd just like to recommend some films this year, please. Beach Bum. Yeah. Loved it. Okay. Missing Link. Yeah. Enjoyed it enormously. Shazam. Probably my favourite big studio movie of the year. Wow. Parasite. Oh, Not the only right. person to say that's great. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Bit divisive, that movie. Mm. I've talked to some people who don't love it. I loved it. Knives Out. Yeah. Ryan Johnson's new it movie. Is it? Excellent. Oh, nice. Like Joker a lot. Yes. Uh, the Irishman. Love The Irishman. You, I haven't seen most of the ones you're saying yet, but I fucking love the Transit. Irishman. Transit. 
good European movie. Right. The guy oh, yeah, made, yeah. Yeah, Phoenix or whatever it's called. Phoenix? Yeah, something like that. Capernaum. Did you see that? No. Really good. It, yeah. Ash is the Purest White. Mm-hmm. Chinese movie. Really good. Birds of Passage. Colombian movie about Colombian tribes that get involved in the marijuana business. Nice. Really good. Lauro, the Pablo Sorrentino movie about Berlusconi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fucking great. Piranhas, Italian movie about youth gangs in Naples. Just a few little tippity tips. Um, I uh, saw Marriage Story. Right. Which will probably be in my top three the year. I bet. I'm calling it early. <laughs> also, season the new season of On Cinema at the Cinema. Do you watch that? Tim Heidecker? Oh, I love it. Holy fucking shit, that's funny. I mean, you've really got to start from the beginning. Have yeah. you watched any of them? Yeah, it's so funny. Have I love you, it. And the trial and everything. And I love both of them. Greg Turkington. Mm. Amazing. There's a thing, Tim and Brett have lunch. You ever watch that? No. Brett Gelman and Tim Heidegger. Oh, Hedeker. I thought it was going to be you. No. It's a two-part. Tim, Tim Heidegger and Brett Gelman have lunch. It's one of my favourite things. I'll check it out. Today. On cinema, it. that's brought me so much pleasure over the last however many years it's been going. It's yeah. so fucking funny. Um, okay, Joe Cornish. What a fucking treat. That was very enjoyable, Brett. Thank you. Thank you for having Thanks me. Thanks for coming to my house. Thank you for having me. And, um, and I hope you have a lovely time uh, in heaven. And um, It's good. a shame, isn't it? Hmm. What other methods of death? What have been your favourite methods of death on this podcast? I think Ed Gamble fell down a hill really slowly and just kept sort of bumping into stuff as he fell. But that's like torture. Yeah. That's actually going to kill you. Yeah. That's like death by a He's thousand cuts. Out. Oh dear, oh dear, as he fell. Yeah. What a spooky note to but, end on. Good night. So that was episode 71. Get your tickets for the live show with Nish Kumar on December 19th at the BFI and head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 30 minutes of chat with Joe. Also, go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and write about the film that means the most to you and why it means the most to you. If you have a look, people have been doing that instead of leaving reviews. And I tell you what, the stories are cracking. They'll make you laugh, they'll make you cry. You'll love it. Plus, it helps numbers, means more people listen. I can keep making it. We can keep doing this forever and ever until the world explodes and we all die because of the world exploding and not knowing how to cope with that. Thank you so much to Joe for doing this. It meant a lot to me. It was really great. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAS for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the artwork. And thank you, Xanthi Futter, for being my friend. Come join me next week where my incredible special guest will be a surprise. I haven't decided who it is yet. Ooh, but you know what? We're a good one. Has there ever been a bad one? No, there hasn't. So... In the meantime, have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other.
Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.